You know that person, the one who has to jump into your life at every possible opportunity. They're there to help guide you along the way. Make sure you don't make any mistakes. No, I'm not talking about your mom. That's a mom job. That's what moms do. This is a person, maybe a well-meaning friend or someone that your friends have recommended you to go to, who's always there for advice on any number of issues, things that come up in your life. Same person, but apparently they have dozens of areas of expertise. He or she is always described the same way. That person is just smart. Hi, I'm Coach Streb, who incidentally is not a smart person, but that isn't going to stop me from rooting through that steaming pile of nonsense that some people are so smart that they can solve all of your problems, no matter what that topic is. Get off my grass! Welcome, welcome to the Old Man's Podcast on this newest, latest, and perhaps greatest episode. I've got some interesting topics. We're going to start off with smart people. You know smart people? Do you? Maybe you don't. What makes for a smart person? Got a few ideas on that I want to share with you. We will continue on with our delve into happiness, specifically our mindset for happiness. Happiness is a mindset. We will cover the topic of commitment to excellence today. I had a recent experience that had me thinking of, I remember when. What was it I was remembering? Snow tires. Do you remember snow tires? Have you ever heard the term snow tires? Well, that's going to be the topic on something that I remember from the past. And if you don't remember it, you got to hear about this because it is relevant to our current times. And I have a funny thing that happened. It happened at the grocery store. Nice young man asked me a question, simple question. How's your day been? And then he answered it for himself just by taking a look at me. So there you have it, all coming up on this episode of the Old Man's Podcast. What's on my mind for this episode? Smart people, or I should specifically say people who consider themselves smart or are considered by others to be smart. Two different kinds of people right there. Let me just jump right into this. What makes for the designation of a smart person? I know it designates not a smart person, me, not a smart person talking to you right now. Smart enough to work uh, a record button and make a podcast, that's about it. That's not that smart. A smart person is one who people go to for advice or oftentimes referred to that smart person by someone else to assist them in solving a problem of some kind. That's a lot of pressure. Who could possibly stand up to that? Well, I'll tell you who can stand up to the pressure of being able to solve problems of all kinds. Nobody. At least nobody that I know. Sorry to all my friends out there who listen to this podcast. I'm not calling you a smart person. Now, I'm not calling you dumb. I'm just saying 
we're all in the same boat. I know a lot of people, ones that I would go to for financial advice, ones who I know can fix my car. There's people I know that I would trust to make repairs to my home, that I would go to for advice on what I would call a nominal sports betting entertainment fix. I've done that before. Anyway, there's lots of things to know and there's lots of people to get that knowledge from. As long as each of my go-to people stay in his or her own lane, I don't see a problem. I classify people as far as smart goes three ways. There's the not too smart. Now that can be categorically or summative. Let me explain that. Categorically, if you're not too smart, it would be about, let's say, fixing cars. This is where I fall. I'm not too smart about automobile repair. I'm not too smart about finances. I'm downright stupid when it comes to finances. I'm just being honest. So there are a number of categories like that, home repair, things of that nature, where I am not too smart. On a summative sense, all the categories that could possibly um, human can meddle in, there are some that I would argue that I could be smart for. So I'm not summatively stupid. I'm not stupid across the board. I'm not not smart across the board. But there are categories. And since there are categories where I am not smart, and because of that, it keeps me out of the not a smart person category because I have some things that I'm smart about. Now, there is smart also categorically or summative. To be a generally across-the-board smart person, that's a unicorn. How many people do you know that you would go to for financial advice, that you would go for real estate advice, that you would go to take your car get, to get fixed, that you would trust on home repair? There's not a whole lot of people out there that can be considered summatively smart. They know something about everything. In certain categories, I'm sure, they're freaking geniuses. There are those people, there's just not a lot of them. It's the middle ground where most of us, like 99% of us in my opinion, live. That's right where we belong. We have our specialties, our categories, where we are smart, and we have other things where we are not smart. There just aren't very many of us that don't know anything or know everything. There's two things I worry about and I want to pass on you that I recommend you consider when giving out advice, solicited or unsolicited. Remember to stay in your lane. If your friend or family member considers you to be smart in some category, try to stay in that category. Don't bump out of it unless they ask. If they're asking for advice on a certain topic, absolutely. Give them your best shot. Just tell them up front. This is my best answer to the question that you just asked. Try not to come off strong. Let people ask you for help. It's unsolicited advice or help that turns a lot of people off. And that's where I'm going with this. Trying to help myself and you avoid messy entanglements with friends or family that you turn them off, get them angry with you, or vice versa. You get angry at this busybody who wants to always be there to help you out, and you don't need it. You're not asking for it. I don't know. Maybe it's just my hang-up, and that's an admission in case you can't tell that smart people, that does bother me. That's great to have people to take advice from, but it's a double-edged sword, really. 
once you let them in, they seem to think they are your personal advisor on all things. If you can find that right person, then that's a godsend for you. But make sure you keep a distinction, a line between solicited and unsolicited advice. You got that person that wants to step in and advise you on things that you didn't ask for or things that you don't believe they have expertise in, you need to break that off right at the beginning. Let them know. Otherwise, they're going to be there in your ear day after day, always constantly chirping, giving you advice. If you find yourself in the situation as an advisor, I don't like to be there very much. I won't give out advice unless you ask me. And I always respond with, you're asking me a question and I have a policy where I answer honestly. So I'm going to answer this question for you. But if you get angry or mad, we're not having an argument about it. I'm just giving you the answer. Now, some topics are more tenuous than others. Sometimes, you know, you can just answer it real quick. Other times, I need to provide that caveat. I just don't want this person getting mad at me because they didn't like my answer. And it's going to be my honest answer. Please do not ever ask how these genes look on me. I'm going to give you the right answer, unless I'm married to you. Anyway, you don't want to leave hard feelings behind. So be honest, don't lie, but make sure that you tread softly, even if the advice is being sought from your friend or family member. One of the things that I noticed about giving advice to other adults when I thought it was necessary was to uh, have that conversation in the form of questions instead of making comments. Accusing, that's how it's always going to be taken. You're making a direct observation. They're going to take it as an accusation. So ask questions. For example, you handled that all wrong is a direct observation. They're going to see that as a confrontation. The more peaceful way to approach that topic would be to ask that person a question. How do you think you dealt with that situation? How do you think you dealt with that person? So you're asking a question instead of making a statement. Yes, it entangles you in a conversation. It's going to go for a very long time. But hey, this is what it takes to develop these relationships where you have people that you can trust and people can trust you. Just lead your advisee when you're in the seat of the advisor. Lead your advisee down the road to solutions or choices. Don't give them the answers. Don't make the choices for them. Let them come up with their own answers. I guess what I'm saying is just be careful. Remember the metaphor I used about the sloth in the previous episode? How the sloth survives by being ridiculously slow? That way other creatures don't pay it much attention at all. It's just sort of sitting there, blending in with the background. Well, this topic of advising or being advised is another example of how we can find our situation where slowly, day after day, it just kind of keeps on piling on. They keep giving you the advice or the flip side, you keep providing the advice when they don't have the um, guts to say, I'd shut up. I don't want to hear about it. And then you find yourself in a situation that you'd rather not be. If you are the unwanted advisor or the unwanted advisee being bludgeoned with excessive advice, both scenarios can at best put a real strain on even a good 
relationship. So, caution, advisor or advisee, be careful. Do it the right way. Don't be pushy. And if somebody is being pushy towards you, you just got to tell them. Be honest. That's how friends behave. I remember when snow tires were a thing. Have you ever heard of snow tires? If so, you might be old like me. So I was at the local tire store. I won't give out the name because they're not a sponsor of the Old Man's Podcast. They can be if they'd like to be, but currently they're not. So we're going to leave the name of the business out. Anyway, I'm in a tire store and over in the corner, kind of tucked away. You'd have to be looking for them. And since I was waiting for my car repair to be completed, I was just looking around. That's what you do when you got nothing else to do. And I found a stack of tires in the corner that were labeled winter tires. And that made me think of snow tires. And I remember as a kid, snow tires were a big deal. Every roundabout October, towards the end of football season, or when things started getting cold, my dad would always take the car in to get snow tires put on. Snow tires were, as I remember, a thing that you put on your car for the winter. And now I see these winter tires stacked in the corner. So I asked the desk clerk, I'm sure he didn't want to be bothered, but come on, I got questions. So I asked him, hey, winter tires, is that the same thing as snow tires? And he said, yes, snow tires, what I know as snow tires, are now referred to as winter tires. And they're essentially the same thing. The deal is winter tires are made for all kinds of cold weather, not just snowfall. So that's why they call them that. The term winter tires apparently is a broader term than snow tires. And it speaks more accurately to the capabilities of these tires who are supposed to be improved gripping of the road. That's the kind of tires you want when the weather's not that great. I talked to him about it for a while and uh, actually was writing notes because I thought, hey, this would be a decent topic for the podcast. So here's what I found out. Winter tires, as we all probably could guess, are designed to perform in very cold temperatures. The construction of a winter tire is it's made out of a softer rubber compound, so it's more flexible in the cold. And this allows those tires to get a good grip on roads that are snow covered and even icy roads. It's just safer. doesn't mean you can drive on ice like there's nothing there. You still have to be super careful. But your winter tires will be better than the tires you use. All weather tires was the other option. Winter tires cannot be used all year. They're made of a very soft rubber and they'll wear out real fast, especially when the temperatures start to rise. So snow tires, I'm not going to call them winter tires because I remember them as snow tires. Snow tires outperform what you would probably be using all season tires or all weather tires. Definitely outperform those regular tires under snowy and icy conditions. They just give you a lot more traction and stability, especially when turning, starting, and stopping. If you ever have wondered whether your all-season tires perform just as well in the snow as snow tires, there's an answer, and the answer is no. The Canadians, God bless the Canadians, have done a lot of studies 
on snow tires and they need those things up there, don't they, in the frozen tundra of the north. Even the cheapest winter tire is better than any all-weather tire. This is what the Canadians have found out. Good for them. All-weather tires handle poorly. Winter tires, as I said, offer much better braking, gripping of the road so you can get turns and stopping. That's important. Um, more reliable. But they don't handle as well on pavement as all-season tires. So if it's 20 degrees below zero outside and the road is dry as can be, you are better off on an all-season tire. So I guess whether you want to have snow tires or not, that kind of depends on the weather that you have during the winter. In reality, an all-wheel drive, so all four of your wheels working at the same time, will give you some assistance in snowy weather. So if you have an SUV, for sure, you probably have all-wheel drive. That's very common now. A front-wheel drive vehicle with winter tires outperforms in starting, stopping, and turning an all-wheel drive in regular tires. An all-wheel drive vehicle with winter tires is the ideal combination. It will provide your safest overall driving. Again, that's not just me. That's not my tire store guy's opinion. That's the research that has been provided by Canadians who did the studies. And I looked it up just to back this guy up and turns out it's true. Snow tires are a thing, they do work. And depending upon the weather where you're listening to this from, if you live in the mountainous area of Colorado, you might have snow tires, but there's not very many of you like that. Only a fraction of United States drivers use winter tires. According to him, it was barely over 2% of the tires that particular company sells are winter tires. They're more expensive. They're going to cost you money, but going head first off a cliff in Colorado costs you a little bit of money too. So maybe better tires are actually cheaper in the long run. He said what he thought was most people just don't have any idea how much better snow tires are. And if they knew, they'd want to get them. And I said, well, that's perfect because I got a podcast where people want to know. Since we're almost through it this winter, maybe some consideration for next winter. I'm going to take a look at snow tires. All right, people, gather around. Coach has got a pep talk for you. Happiness is a mindset. It's something you have to work for. It doesn't happen on its own. It'd be great if it did, but it really doesn't. You have to be in the right mindset. You have to be expecting it, and most of us, at least, have to be working for it. If you don't work to make yourself a happy person, you're going to make excuses. You're going to blame other people. You're going to point fingers. You're going to do all of those things that a human being naturally does it ends up making us unhappy. So each and every episode of the Old Man's Podcast, we spend some time talking about things that the experts tell us we need to be doing to make ourselves happy. Being the old coach, I always start off with a quote of some kind, and it's probably an athletics or sports quote. Don't worry, it's applicable to any aspect of your life, even if you're not an athlete. 
And I do have a quote for this topic where we are going to talk about excellence, committing yourself to be excellent. Happy people are excellent people. Excellent people are happy people. You see where I'm going with this. The quote comes from Muhammad Ali, a very, very quotable person, right? Muhammad Ali, and this is a great quote. I've used it many times myself. You could be the world's best garbage man, the world's best model. It don't matter what you do if you're the best. I don't know about you, but my father often said, whatever it is you decide to do, whatever you're going to do, you need to be your best. You need to do your best at it. That's a great thought. Do we do that? Think about yourself, all the things that you're involved with professionally or personally, things that you love to do, things that you have to do. Are you doing it at your best? Are you giving your most excellent, Bill and Ted, thank you, you giving your most excellent effort to do this thing that it is you're doing? How good do you want to be at what you do? If your answer is anything like good enough to get by, then you're not committed to excellence. You might be saying, well, I'm retired. I am. But you still have to commit to excellence. Excellence in your life, not just your job, although that's appropriate. It's not just in your personal life with your family, although that's appropriate. It's in every area of your life. Your honest answer has to be, I want to be the best person, the best Steve, the best Helen, the best whatever your name is that I can be. And that takes a total commitment to being excellent. You don't have to tell anyone about your commitment. It's going to show. Your actions will tell the story. People will see your commitment to them, to your organization, to your employer, to your family members. They're going to see it by the energy and the time and the things that you do, the little things and the big things, the intensity that you put into those relationships. Do not ever be ashamed to admit that you want to be the best and never feel like you have to explain the reasons why to people. If you're committed to excellence, your answer to that question and why do you try so hard should always be why not be the best. Even in coaching where I've had numerous championships and individuals that excelled at the highest levels, I've only seen a couple dozen who have made a sincere commitment to excellence. Sometimes winning just happens because talent is so overwhelmingly good that a commitment to excellence really wasn't necessarily required. They were going to make it on their own talent. If you're that person who's successful in what you do because of your talent and you have not committed to excellence, you're still selling yourself short. Perfection, that's impossible. You can't be perfect in anything. It's elusive. Athletes know that as much as anybody else, but I'm sure in your own experience, if you're not an athlete, you know how hard or impossible it is to be perfect, but you strive for it, and you strive for it knowing that you're probably going to fall short. You can only achieve perfection, however, if you have a strong commitment to excellence. So commit yourself to excellence, strive for perfection, and if you fall short, you're still, well, a winner in life. I don't believe that people can ever be at peace with themselves. 
or as I said, happy, unless they make a commitment, a strong commitment, a commitment to excellence. How do they justify their lives? How do they go day after day without making an honest effort to be the best at what they do? It's up to each and every one of us. It's up to us individually. If you really want something bad enough, whatever it is you want in your life, don't let anything stand in your way. Don't settle for less than the best, especially when it comes to your commitment to excellence. Yay! Let's play Engage Your Brain. That's the only reason some of you even tune into this podcast, and it's something that I like to do once a week anyway, just because it's a reminder for me and for everybody else out there that you have to do something regularly, every day, to engage your brain. And guys, it's true. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it just that much faster. So let's just use it. Typically, what we do is we play five trivia questions. That's what we're going to do right now. The topic I'm going to use on this episode is animals. So if you like animals, John, I think you do like animals. We're going to have a nifty treat with trivia. Here we go. First question. Which mammal is known to have the most powerful bite in the world? Let me emphasize the question part where it says which mammal, not a shark, because it's a mammal. The mammal with the most powerful bite in the world, the hippopotamus. Or if you have two of them, I think it's a hippopotami. I, I don't know. I might have made that up. Next question. What object does a male penguin often gift to a female penguin to win her over? So if you watch the penguins of Madagascar, that's not going to happen here. I've seen that one about a hundred times. The object that a male penguin will gift to a female penguin to win her over, it is a pebble. Jeez, fellas, wouldn't it be nice if it was that easy with humans? It's not, is it? Next question. How long is an elephant pregnant before it gives birth? I shouldn't have been hacking on the ladies previously. This is crazy. Do you know how long an female elephant, obviously female elephant, is going to be pregnant? It is going to be pregnant for nearly two years. 22 months is how long an elephant is pregnant before she gives birth. Good God, that's crazy. All right, next question. What are the only two mammals that we know of to lay eggs? There are two mammals who are known to lay eggs. My fellow Phineas and Ferb fans will know that one of them is the duck-billed platypus. Perry the platypus lays an egg. That's one of the two mammals. The other one I don't think I would have ever gotten. An anteater. The anteater and the platypus are mammals that lay eggs. Last question has to do with flamingos. Why are flamingos pink? Well, it's because of what they eat. Flamingos are pink because of their diet. And what is in their diet that makes their feathers pink? Shrimp. 
shrimp, algae, other kinds of crustaceans, but mostly the shrimp make the flamingo's feathers look pink. There you go. Now look at all the stuff you know. Hope you did great. Hope you come back next week. We're going to do it again on Engage Your Brain. Well, as usual, a funny thing happened to me this past weekend, as so oftentimes it does. It occurred at the grocery store. I go to the same store, you've all heard this story before, pretty regularly because I'm just familiar with it. I like it. I like the stuff they have. I like the fact that I can find what it is I'm looking for, but I also like the people and have a few checkers that if I am in the store and they're working, I'm going to get in their line, even if it's not the fastest one, even if it looks like it might be the longest. Some of these people, the checkers, I just enjoy chatting with them. There's this young kid at the store. I'm guessing he's probably in his 20s, but he's a very pleasant person. He always asks questions. He's got a great personality. He should probably be a movie star. And he'll chat it up with me. Loves my t-shirts. Likes to make comments about the goofy t-shirts that I wear. And we, we have a fun haha whenever I go through his line. So I was going through his line and he asked me, hey, how's your day going? And before I could get out an answer, he said, oh, I can see you've had a delicious day. And I thought, what? A delicious day? I've never heard that. But his gaze is affixed to the shirt that I'm wearing, which he, as I said, he normally checks out my t-shirts. So I'm thinking, wait a minute, this is a collared shirt. This isn't even an interesting shirt. So I glanced down to see what I think he might be looking at. And it's a giant, well, felt like a giant, red stain, about the size of a half dollar. For you youngsters, millennials and such that don't know what a half dollar is, it's a coin that's bigger than a quarter but I don't even know how to compare it to for you guys. It's bigger than, it's not as big as your cell phone. How's that? But it's big enough to notice. So there's a big spot on my shirt that I had no idea was there and it's red. So I'm thinking, hmm, this must be something I ate. So what's the first thing you do? You give a little sniff, see if that is in fact what it is. Well, it didn't smell like anything other than shirt, laundry detergent, so it was not fresh and not odiferous by any means. Well, what's the next move? Yep, you're gonna give it a lick, see what it is. So I gave it a lick and I tasted tomato sauce. So I knew what was on me, but here's the problem. I had eaten lasagna, but it was a couple of days before. And I not, haven't been wearing the same shirt for three days, but I know I was just running up to the grocery store, so I just put on a shirt that was kind of hanging over the back of a chair in my bedroom. That was the one. The lasagna stain was from, I don't know, a few days before. I didn't know it then that it was stained, and I didn't know it now. I have been walking around with a big red spot on my shirt seeing people and finally this kid pointed it out thank god he did is that something that you would do if you saw somebody with a stain on their shirt and you didn't really know them they weren't family or even friends would you point out to them that they had a stain on their shirt if they didn't notice it i guess you probably wouldn't because you'd think well they have to know that's there well trust me some stupid people don't notice things like that i'm one
I'm glad he did that, told me about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known. And who knows how long I'd walk around with a big stain on my shirt. I took the groceries home and I changed my shirt right away because just in case I go somewhere else, I don't want to look stupid again. Well, there's the sound that means the old man's podcast has come to conclusion. I just gotta go. I'm glad that you were here to share this with me. Please pass it on to other people that you know, friends, family, it doesn't matter. Tell them about the old man's podcast and help me drive up listenership. Please visit the old man's podcast website on pod page just to google search away or you can link directly to it off of facebook there is an old man's podcast facebook page find it like it and you can find that link and some other links to things that are going on in the old man's podcast world say some post up on the old man's podcast page or on facebook if you like if you want to jump in and help out with an episode sometime that would be great i'm always looking for interesting subjects from people that are interesting or otherwise doesn't matter you don't mind talking to me on the phone about whatever topic you think is pertinent we can make a great episode well at any rate Please stay safe and come back again next week for the next episode of the Old Man's Podcast. And in the meantime, make sure that you always live boldly. Get off my grass! Damn kids. Damn kids.